0: Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So Genesis chapter 10, and we're going to go a little bit into chapter 11 uh, all the way to verse 9. Chapter 10 is known as the table of nations. Now when we get to chapter 11, uh, you'll notice that it's, uh, well maybe you won't notice, but I'm just going to let you know it's not sequential, okay? Okay. Um, Chapter 11 actually expounds on verses 8 through 12 of chapter 10. So as we're going through chapter 10, we get to verses 8 through 12. It's going to talk about a guy named Nimrod and what he did. And then when we get done with chapter 10 and we get into chapter 11, it kind of like goes back and it talks about what happened around the time of Nimrod. You know, this is not a unique situation that happened in Genesis uh, in the beginning, right? We had in Genesis 1, we had the seven days of creation described in chapter 1. Uh, You know, man was created on day 6. Then we get to chapter 2 and it kind of goes back and looks back at day 6 at the creation of Adam. And it it expounds on that. And so this is the same thing. It's not not a unique thing that happens in scripture. Uh, So let's get into it. Now, before I get into chapter 10, just a couple verses back in chapter nine, just to kind of set the stage. So after the flood, we're told in chapter nine, verse one, so God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That was God's command to Noah and to his sons after the flood. And to reiterate the point, God repeated it, in verse seven of chapter nine and as for you be fruitful and multiply bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it so they had the command it was twice Repeated. Now, God. when God repeats himself, it's, it's serious, right? So this is an important thing. Be fruitful, multiply, ref, ref, replenish the earth is the command. Um, and then we get to verse 18 of chapter 9. And it says, now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah. And from these, the whole earth was populated. So from those three sons of Noah, the entire earth was populated. So everyone in this room is related. Well, we're all related to Noah, obviously, but each one of us in this room is related to one, or we are descended from one of the sons of Noah. Now today in our culture, you know, and we get visitors here at the church sometimes, and you, know, you first, probably the first thing you ask them, hey, what's your name, right? And they tell you your name, you share your name and stuff. And it isn't too long into a conversation, at least with me, anyways. I say, hey, well, what do you do? You know, what kind of, what kind of, you know, do you have any occupation? You know, why are you here in Rochester? Whatever it is. And that's usually in our culture what we ask people, right? It's like, what do you do? And that's kind of, you know, most people, that's the biggest part of their, well, I'm a doctor or I'm a dentist or, you know, I'm a, I'm a janitor or, or I'm a homemaker. You know, I, I stay home with my kids. You know, whatever it is, we ask that. That's our culture. In other cultures, that's not quite as important. What's important in other cultures is here, who's your family? Where are you from? You know, and that's in other cultures. That's much more important than what kind of work you do. Um, This is kind of what we're going to go through this morning. um, Is kind of important to know that distinction because when we look at these sons of uh, Shem or the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and where they went and what peoples came from them, um, it really kind of opens your eyes to current events. When you, especially in the Middle East, when you consider the things that are going on in the Middle East as far as, uh, you know, Israel and the nations around Israel, it gives you a, just maybe a little bit of a deeper understanding of the geopolitical climate that we're experiencing in the world today. Even Russia. Russia is another situation that's, uh, you know, we'll see in prophecy as we look into this a little further. So, so out of that, hopefully this will, if nothing else, it'll help improve just your understanding of, of current world events. So let's get into chapter ten, verse one. Now this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah: Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and sons were born to them after the flood. Verse two: the sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyrus. So we're going to look at these names and where they went. So the very first one is Gomer. Now Herodotus, who is a Greek, Historian, he identified Gomer with Samaria, which is the land that we know today as Crimea. Um, his descendants, Gomer's descendants, moved westward from that region, and they are identified with the Germanic nations of Western Europe and even the Celtic nation of Wales. So uh, we got Crimea, Germany, and Wales. Um, their ancestors, his, his descendants, migrated into that region uh, generally. And we got Magog. Now, Magog, his name shows up in the Bible quite frequently. Well, he is associated with Georgia, which not george where the peaches are grown you know here in southern or southern southern u.s but that's part of the former soviet republic part of the ussr and uh, it's interesting um like i said magog is is a name that you've you're i'm sure you're familiar with it the next time you read ezekiel 38 and 39 um or the book of revelation Those names are going to appear again, and there's prophetically uh, the Prince of Rosh is a a person, and Magog, Gog and Magog, and all these different countries that we're going to be looking at this morning, um, they're named by their ancestors, basically. Put is another one that's named. Um, Their names are going to appear again in last day's prophecies, and uh, so we'll see that. Uh, We won't get into that too much this morning, uh, but just to let you know, uh, it, you know, and as I go through this and I, you know, you go, well, where did you get that information? If you have a good Bible dictionary, a lot of this is just in a Bible dictionary. You, you can dig it up. Uh, um, and uh, it's, it's not too hard to, to get into there. Now, some of the names, there's a little bit of discrepancies between, between dictionaries and I'm not that smart. So I just went with one that made the most sense to me. So, um, but we'll go from there. So, Magog. Madai was another son, and uh, he is the father of the Medes. You rec- recall the Medo Persian Empire. So, he's the father of the Medes. Javan, um, it's also known, uh, his people, the, his descendants are also known as Ionia, the land, and that's Greece. So Ionia is associated with Greece. Tubal. You know, it's interesting. When you look at some of these names, linguistically, you can kind of see a correlation. But Tubal is associated with Tobolsk. Tobolsk is the historic capital of Siberia. And then Meshach was also known as Muscovy, uh, which we would know today as Moscow. So when you see these names in prophecy, you kind of go, oh, this is talking about Russia. Um, Tyrus. Another son. The Thracians and the Etruscans um, are descended from Tyrus. Thrace was an area of southeast Europe. Uh, It's now split between the land of Bulgaria, which we know as Bulgaria today, Greece, and Turkey. So in that region up there. The Etruscans, uh, they settled in what's known as Tuscany, which is basically central Italy. I think it's central Italy. I'm looking at you guys because you've been there, right? Yeah, Okay. All right, verse 3. The sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Rift, Rifthah, and Togarma. Uh, and then, so let's look at these. Ashkenaz. Now, you may have heard of Ashkenazi Jews before. That's where this comes from. Uh, Ashkenaz, his descendants settled in a region of Armenia known as Saskassene, you get the names kind of sounds kind of similar, Uh, Scandinavia, and also Saxony, which is an area in Germany or part of Germany. Um, Now, following the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, the Jews, you know, they were dispersed from Jerusalem and uh, quite a few of them settled in Europe uh... in germany in particular but all throughout europe and uh, they became known as the ashkenazi jews because they were settled into that region um, and uh, so there's, like, two groups of Jewish people in Israel, uh, and sometimes they kind of look, you know, they, they don't necessarily, there's, like, racial tension, if you can call it racial, I don't know, but there's tension between the two groups. There's the Ashkenazi Jews and the Sephardic Jews, and the Sephardic Jews are the ones that they basically, re- they settled around the region of the Mediterranean. Um, they typically, not not exclusively, but they typically have more olive complexion, darker complexion. The Ashkenazi Jews, they look European. And uh, the Ashkenazi Jews have traditionally in Israel been the ruling class. So there's a little bit of tension there in Israel. People are people, right? That kind of happens wherever you go. Riphoth. He uh, uh, Josephus associates Rifath with the Paphlagonians. You're like, oh, now it makes sense. Well, who are the Paphlagonians? Uh, they settled in the region as part of modern Turkey. What's interesting is I've done this study. A lot of, a lot of areas is part of Turkey. So a lot of uh, uh, Noah's ancestors, that seemed like they first settled in Turkey and then they went out from there. Um, the name's Carpathia. And Europe are possibly also derived from the name Ritha. Found that kind of interesting. Togarma, probably, and I say probably because there's a little division on that, probably the ancestors of the Armenians. And the Jewish Targums say that Germany was derived from Togarma. And uh, the name also may have connection with Turkey and Turkestan. So, uh, all right, verse 4. The sons of Javan were Elisha, Tarshish, Kidim, and Dodanim. Look at those. Well, Elisha, uh, the name uh, it can be translated or it can be referred to as Hellas, which is another name for Greece. And uh, you'll remember in the New Testament, as, you, as we're reading through it, uh, the Jews from Greece were, were known as the Hellenists. And that's where it comes from. The Iliad also mentions uh, that them as Elysians. So there's a kind of a similarity there. Tarshish. Now, Tarshish may sound familiar to you if you remember a certain prophet that was sent to go to Nineveh to preach to the Assyrians, right, to repentance. And uh, he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He went as far as he could away from Nineveh Nineveh in the opposite direction. He basically got on a ship bound for Tarshish. So that might sound familiar to you. Well, the people of Tarshish were recognized as a seafaring people. Um, At some point in history, they later became associated with the Phoenicians, uh, which were also a very prominent seafaring people. The only problem is the Phoenicians were Canaanites. So somehow they got associated with them, probably maybe because they were just seafaring groups of people. Um, But Tarshish is associated Associated with the cities of Carthage, which is or Carthage, which is North Africa, and Tartessos, which is Spain. Moving on from there, Kittim. Kittim is another name for Cyprus. Dodanim is associated with the Dardanelles in northwestern Turkey and Rhodes. In Greece. And you know it's funny, as I was studying these, I'm reading these going, Dardanelles, I'm like, I have no clue where that is. So I spent a lot of time googling where's the Dardanelles and where's Rhodes and stuff, and I got educated. It's it's kind of an interesting thing. I feel smart today. Verse five. From these the coastland peoples of the Gentiles were separated into their lands, everyone according to his language, according to their families, into their nations. Um So, as you read this, it's like it's past tense, right? It says all the peoples were separated in their lands according to their language, according to their families. This verse, verse 5, indicates that this was recorded after the events that we're going to study there in chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. After the events surrounding the Tower of Babel. So, this ends as much of the genealogy of Japheth that we know about. At least, is what the Holy Spirit intended for us to know. Now, as we get to the end of chapter 10, you're going to notice that some of the genealogies go deeper on some of the family lines than they do on others. And you go, well, why is that? And, I, and, and uh, it was interesting. I was looking at the commentators, and some of them had some really just kind of simple, um, one of the commentators, uh, in fact, I, I guess many of them, believe that Shem is the one that recorded this genealogy. Um, and they were saying, well, Shem lived near these people, and that's why he named them. And, and he, yeah, that might be true, but obviously the Holy Spirit intended for certain names to be mentioned here. And uh, we're going to take a look at why that's possibly the case here, when we look at some other scripture a little bit later. So the so the uh, that's the descendants of Japheth, and you remember the blessing Japheth that you know they would just they would be expanded, and and uh, we have seen that you've seen all these nations that have uh, descended from Japheth. Um, and you know the interesting thing is those people, the ones especially the ones that settle into Europe and stuff. By the Middle Eastern countries and nations, those Europeans, those very first Europeans, were considered barbarians. They were uncouth. They were pagan, uh, pagan worshippers, and they were just like like Conan the Barbarian type of a thing, you know. Um, and uh, it wasn't until Europe dwelled in the tents of Shem. What do you mean by that? Well, it wasn't until they submitted to the God of Shem that they were blessed, and Europe just exploded with uh, the blessings. The that blessing that Noah pronounced over his son came to. Full fruition after they accepted the God of Shem as they started uh, acknowledging um, the Lord God. Um, so, like I said, the nation a lot of the a lot of these guys seem to have settled around Turkey. Turkey seems to have been, been like a major hub for a lot of these nations, and from there they kind of descended and spread out into different different regions. Verse six. Now we get to the sons of Ham. Ham, excuse me. The sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. So Cush is associated with Ethiopia. Mizraim is associated with Egypt. Now what's interesting about that is, you know, you think of these nations that are all surrounding Israel and uh, they are predominantly Muslim nations. Egypt is predominantly a Muslim nation, but they're descended from Ham. They're not Arab. So it's an interesting thing when you look at somehow how these nations relate with one another. Put, or foot, I guess maybe it's foot, um, is according to Josephus, foot is Libya. Uh, Let's move on here. Canaan. Now, I don't think I need to go into too much detail. Canaan, predominantly, those people were the people that settled into the promised land, right? That Joshua and the children of Israel were to dispossess their land because of their great wickedness. Verse 7, the sons of Cush were Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rehama, and Sabtica, and the sons of Rehama were Sheba and Dedan. Now, Seba eventually migrated into what's known as now as the Sudan um, Havilah, there's a little little bit of discussion. It's either possibly Yemen or Somaliland, and I'm like Somaliland. That must be an old term for Somalia. No, there's actually apparently there's a Somaliland. It's a, it's a kind of a portion of Somalia, and they kind of keep themselves separate, I guess. Uh, Sabta, possibly southern Arabia. Rayma, uh they settled in the southern uh, southern Arabia on the Persian Gulf side, possibly. Again, a little discussion about that. Sabtika, um, uh, those, uh, uh, those people were later known as, uh, they settled into ancient Carmania, and I didn't know where that is, uh, so I looked it up, and it's modern-day Kerman. You guys know where Kerman is? <laughs> it's actually southeast Iran, right along the Persian Gulf, so... Sheba and Dedan. Now, that's interesting. We have Sheba and Dedan. They're the sons of Ramah. Now, what's confusing is that uh, these are identified as Ham's descendants, but there is another Sheba and Dedan in the Bible, and they are actually Abraham's grandsons through Keturah. Uh, who was later on his wife? Uh, they had a son named Jokshan, and he had two sons, and they were Sheba and Dedan, and they're the Arabians. So, kind of an interesting thing. Now, according to Josephus, uh, from this Sheba that we're looking at here, descended from Ham came the Sabians, and from Dedan came the Judadeans, and that's not Judea, but it's a nation of the Western Ethiopians. Um, it says, but the posterity of this man pro- most probably settled in Arabia. So, again, a lot of facts and stuff. If you're writing notes, uh, I, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> verse, ten, uh, verse 8. Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. Um, this guy was such a well-known person that they actually had a saying about him. You know, they basically said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And it it sounds, it's an unfortunate translation because you might think, well, man, this guy must have been really a good shot, you know, had a good aim. And, you know, he must have bagged a lot of animals and stuff. And we don't really know exactly why he's called that, but it's an unfortunate translation because what it really means is he was a mighty hunter in the face of the Lord. And when it's in the face of the Lord, what it means in in rebellion to the Lord or into defiance in front of the Lord. Nimrod's name means rebellion. Um, And he wasn't a hunter of animals, or he may have been a hunter of animals, but he was most likely a hunter of men's souls. He was most likely just this great, mighty leader. And when we get to chapter 11, we're going to see what he does there. Um, Moving on here, verse 10. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that <coughs> land, he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ur, Kalah, and Reason, Between Nineveh and Kalah, that is the principal city. So this guy was ambitious, and he was spreading out. He was moving around. He was building cities and stuff. Verse 13, Mizraim begot Ludim, an- Ananim, or excuse me, Anamim, Lehabim, Naphtuhim, Pathrusim, and Kazluhim, from whom came the Philistines and Kaphtorim. So let's look at these guys here. Ludim. According to Fawcett's Bible Dictionaries, this is where I got some of this information, uh, these were the old inhabitants of central Egypt, the Ludum. The Annamim An- were East African, and the Lehebim were the modern Tuarchs, if that's how you pronounce it, and the Berbers, which were Aborigines of North Africa. Uh, the Naphtuhim. The area known as niphayet is Coptic for the country west of the Nile on the Egypt's northwest border. So what's a part of northwestern Egypt was where the Naphtuhim settled. The Pathrushim settled in upper Egypt. Uh, the, they were the inhabitants of Pathros, if that name might sound familiar. And uh, uh, Ka- it, we're told here in the Bible here that the, the Kaslohim, the Philistines and the Kaphtarim came from that, that particular person. Um, the Kaftrum here are identified with the Philistines, but secular writers also identify the Kaftrum with Crete, the island of Crete. Um, the Caftrim evidently migrated from Egypt to Crete, and then later from there they went to Philistia on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean. So that's where the Philistines came from, uh, which is interesting. You know, the Philistines... They're like, you know, you get like to the time of David and 1st 1st, 2nd Chronicles and Kings and stuff. They're like the arch enemies of Israel, right? The Philistines they are always battling the Philistines. Um, well, what's interesting. So after 70 A.D., Jerusalem, you know, was conquered, was, was basically destroyed by the Romans. But there were Jews that were still fighting the Romans off and on. And there was a revolt in the 2nd centru- century. It's known as the Simon Bar Kokba Revolt. And uh, at that time, the Romans squashed that, uh, that revolt. And it was at that time in the second century that the Romans, they wanted to minimize Jewish nationalism. So the Jews would, keep, you know, like give up on Jerusalem, basically, is what they wanted them to do. And also because they kind of wanted to spite the Jews. They, they just, you know, nobody liked the Jews. They, what they wanted to do, uh, so what they did was they ended up naming the whole area of Israel there, Palestinia. And uh, basically, it was, it was, it was a, a take on the name of the Philistines. And it was kind of like, forget about Jerusalem, and this is the Philistines' land, basically. And so that's where Palestine comes from. That's where, it des- that's where that name comes from. Now, the Philistines were not Arab. They are descendants of Ham, and so it's interesting because you look at today's, the day, you know, they have the Palestinians and, the, you know, the two-state solution and all this stuff. All these things that the Palestinians claiming this as their, you know, their eternal homeland as, as well as, the Israel, you know, the Jews are claiming that. Well, anyone claiming to be a true Palestinian is not even an Arab. They're a descendant from Ham. So it's, it's kind of interesting when you start digging into that. Verse 15 Canaan begot Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth. Now Sidon was, and it, it still is a city, It was the chief city of the Phoenicians. Heth was the father of the Hittites. The Hittites, they were had a great empire. They ruled for 800 years. And when their empire kind of crumbled apart, the, many of the Hittites migrated east. Um, uh, in my studies, I came across this. In ancient inscriptions, the Hittites are inscribed. Uh, are called Kita, and uh, in Babylonian cuneiforms, the name is identified as Kete, and it says here, which may possibly have been modified to Kathay, which is a synonym for China. Kind of interesting. Verse 16, the Jebusite, the Amorite, and the Girgashite, the Hivite, the Archite, and the Sinite, the Arvadite, and the Zemurite, they got real u- unique with their names, right? Uh, and the Hamathite. Afterward, the families of the Canaanites were dispersed. So here now we have the the names of these tribes that dwelled in Canaan, and some of these you might you might be familiar with the Jebusites. Uh, they they their city was Jebus. Jebus, you might say, like okay, big deal. That is the ancient name of Jerusalem before it became Jerusalem. It was Jebus, so that's where the Jebusites were. The Sinai, now that's an interesting thing. Of course, you think of Mount Sinai and and the Wilderness of Sin, which is where these, actually, that's that area, but um, it may also be connected to the term Sinai, which is an old term for China, again, and you know, when I was growing up, I remember reading about Sino-Soviet relations. You know, the, it was the relations between China and Russia. And so, it's it's China is basically what it sounds. It's quite possibly be, they could quite possibly be descended from Ham through this Sinite here. Interesting. Verse nineteen. And the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon as as you go toward Gerar as far as Gaza, then as you go toward Sodom, Gomorrah, Admah, and Zebuam as far as Lasha or Lasha. These were the sons of Ham according to their families, according to their languages, in their lands, and in their nations. Verse twenty one. And children were born also to Shem. So now we get into the descendants of Shem, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder. Now it's interesting they mention Eber specifically, and the reason, was, reason why is because as we go through genealogies and as we get further into chapter 11, the descendants of Eber are the ones that are going to become the main focus in the Bible. Why? Because Eber is the name Eber actually became the Hebrews. He's the father of the Hebrews. Verse 22. The sons of Shem were Elam, Ashur, Arphasad, Lud, and Aram. So, Elam. Elam was the ancestor of the Elamites. The Elamites, later on in history, they merged with the Medes, which were the descendants of Madai, and they formed the Persian or the Medo-Persian Empire. That ancient land is what we now know as Iran. Um, and it's interesting, again, the Iranians, predominantly Muslim, in fact, I think it's probably maybe 100% Muslim nation, um, they're not an Arab country. They don't even speak Arabic. They have their own language, which is known as Farsi. Farsi. And so, when you start looking at how these these nations, you know, the, another thing about Iran is that they're Shiite Muslims, which is a different branch of Islam, or Muslim, or yeah, different branch of Islam. A lot of the Arab nations are Sunni or Sunni, and uh, we won't go into what that difference is, but they're at war with; they don't like each other, and 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 a lot of the Arab nations. Um, they, you know, the U.S. was well. Our president, our last president, was all for that nuclear agreement with Iran, right? Um, a lot of a lot of Americans, a lot of a lot of congressmen were really against it. Uh, Israel was definitely against it. Remember when Benjamin Netanyahu came and spoke to to uh, Congress about it? And I mean, it was like this is not a good deal. Well, you know, we're not the only ones that were against it. The Arab nations also. We're very much against it. And the reason why is because they don't, like is- they don't like Iran either. They don't consider them, well, they're not Arabs. And so there's this, this, this division, and it goes all the way back down to what we're reading here in Genesis chapter 10. So, you know, next time when you start reading about, you know, relations going on in the Middle East, you might kind of gives you a little bit of a broader understanding. Um, so these Muslim nations, you know, they, they, they don't care for each other, a lot of them. But there's one thing that they all agree on. They hate Israel. <laughs> they hate Israel. They'll agree on that, man. They'll, they'll come together for that. Ashur was another son, and he uh, was the descendant, or, or the ancestor of the Assyrians. Their land was generally located in northern Iraq or in southern Turkey, in that region up there. Arphasad, according to Josephus, he was the ancestor of the Chaldeans, and they settled mostly in what we know as modern-day Iraq. Lud. Again, according to Josephus, Lud was the ancestor of the Lydians, and their land was in modern-day Turkey. A lot, of, a lot of, you know, they say all these roads lead to Rome, or a lot of roads leave from Turkey, it seems like. <laughs> they seem, Turkey seems to show up in a lot of these ancestors. Aram was the father of the Arameans, or Syrians, so, you know, about Syria. Um, it's interesting, Aramaic was one of the languages that was spoken in Christ's time. In fact it was a it was a pretty prominent language in that day and age. Verse 23. The sons of Aram were Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. Now we don't know much about these sons. You, you look up on them and you don't you don't get too much. Other than we do know that Job was from the land of Uz. Verse 24, Arphasad begot Selah, Selah begot Eber, to Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. So there's this thing that happened that is, you know, the writer talks about the days in his days the earth was divided, it was like a common thing, like we would say 9-11 and, you know... Five hundred years from now, if the Lord tarries, which i don 't think he will, but five hundred years from now, someone might go nine eleven what are they talking about it doesn 't make any sense we 'll have to do some we 'll have to google what nine eleven means you know, but in our day and age, if I say nine eleven everybody knows what i 'm talking about right Well, in that age in that day, evidently everybody knew about the dividing of the earth. What is that referring to? Well, Peleg was named in in honor of this or because of that it was, it was such a big deal. he was named. Um, in 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 honor or comm- commemorating that event, so what does it mean about the dividing of the earth? Well, there's two possibilities. Uh, the first one, now the Hebrew word when it says earth there is the word eretz, eretz. That word, almost almost without exception, there's a few exceptions, but almost without exception, that refers to the physical land, the physical earth. And so, what some people believe which is a possibility, is that this was the, the, at the time of the flood and after the flood, um, the Earth was one continent, and it split apart. And we get this continental drift, which scientists talk about today, but that, that it was at this time that, these, that the continents kind of broke off and become dif- different continents. Um, and it seems really far-fetched, but, you know, thinking about it, okay, all the animals... How did they end up on the ark? You know, they, they all came, you know, to the ark. So they had to—they had to all been on the same land to come to the ark. They didn't swim across the ocean or anything like that. Um, and then after the flood, they all went out from the ark. And now you can only find kangaroos and platypuses in Australia. You can't find them anywhere else. Well, how did they get all the way down there? So some people say, "Well, this is why," um, uh, and that's a possibility. The other possibility. Remember I said Eretz almost exclusively refers to land. Every once in a while, there's a few verses in the Bible. There's one I can think of in Psalms. I don't have it right written down, but it refers to the world in reference to people. And so other people say, well, this is probably describing what we're going to study about the Tower of Babel here in a few minutes. That when the earth was divided, the population was divided, God sent people, you know, scattered people. Um, So two possibilities. I don't know. None of us were here, were there, so we don't know. But uh, I'll leave that with you to kind of chew on and think about. Verse 26. (laughs) Joktan begot Almodad, Shalef, Hazar, Maveth, Jera, Hadoram, Uzal, and Dikla. Obal, Abimelech, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. I'm not going to go into each one of these, but one thing I will point out. Job, the book of Job, Job is the oldest book in the Bible. And it's possible that that this Jobab in verse 29 is possibly the Job of the book of Job. Possible. Verse 30 and their dwelling place was from Mesha, as you go towards Safar, the mountain of the east. These were the sons of Shem, according to their families, according to their languages, in their lands, according to their nations. Verse thirty-two. These were the families of the sons of Noah, according to their generations, in their nations, and from these the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. Now, remember when I mentioned to you that it's, it's kind of interesting, you know, we get some of the descendants, they go like their, their sons and then their sons and other ones, we don't get that. It's like, why is it, you know, why is there certain descendants mentioned? What's interesting, and I of course, I believe the Holy Spirit, that's just the Holy Spirit, you know, designed it this way, wanted, they'll, they'll wanted those names to be published in the Bible, whatever. Um, but it's interesting. It's 70 names, 70 people. And 70 is a name is a number that kind of pops up in the Bible once in a while, right? Is there any significance to the number 70? Well, listen to this. In Genesis chapter 46, verse 27. It says, And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two persons. This is looking at the genealogy of Joseph and or Jacob. And it says, And all the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were seventy. From Jacob, Jacob's name is later changed to Israel. His descendants are known as the children of Israel, right? So there were 70 that went down into Egypt. After they were there for, what, about 400 years, they came out, there was like a couple million of them, but originally there were 70 that were in Egypt. Now look at this passage in Deuteronomy 32, verse 7. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you, your elders... And they will tell you, verse 8, when the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. Isn't that interesting? Could be why, possibly. Well, let's move on here, chapter 11, verse 1. Now, the whole earth had one language and one speech. We don't know what that language was, but many people think it was Hebrew because of the name. Everything here is written in Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew origins of the names and everything. So it quite possibly could have been Hebrew even before the Hebrews existed. You know, they, they had that same language, basically. Verse 2. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Now, going back to chapter 10, verse 10, you don't need to turn there, but this was the area of Babylon that was founded by Nimrod. Verse 3 Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. Now, when I was a kid, you know, I grew up in California, and in fourth grade, Um, you get a lot of California history. Fourth grade is California history. I don't know what it is here in Minnesota, but fourth grade is California history. One of the things we did is we went to, like, the missions. There's all these missions along the, you know, that was a field trip that everybody looked forward to. When you get to fourth grade, you get to go to one of the missions. Um, I went to San Juan Batista, Mission San Juan Batista, but anyways, what's really cool about that, all right, Uh, there's also, uh, there was also in, where I grew up in, uh, there's a city known or town known as Old Almodan. You're probably familiar with that, and they had an Indian museum there, Native American, I'm sorry, a Native American um, museum there, and what was kind of cool about that was that they had this old adobe hut, and the adobe, as you learn in California, in in California history, the the Native Americans, I kind of keep saying it right, the Native Americans, they used mud and straw, or grass, basically, and made bricks out of them, adobe bricks. And they built their homes out of that stuff. Of course, you know, well, I won't go into that, but anyways. Adobe, I mean, it's mud and straw, so it's not going to last very well. These guys, how many thousands of years earlier, they had kiln-fired bricks. You know, we think that we're so technologically advanced, and back then they were so primitive. No, 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 no. There was a lot of technology back then fascinating stuff um, they had killed firing bricks and uh, they used asphalt mortar now why would they do that it's like pitch basically in fact your king james says slime they use slime basically it's kind of a, a some kind of a petroleum type of a, 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 a asphalt to put between the bricks what were they doing well for one thing they were making it very very sturdy but it's interesting they could have been possibly making it waterproof why would they build their city and towers waterproof God had said, I'm never going to destroy the earth again with a flood. They probably didn't believe him. They didn't trust him, possibly. Maybe they thought that God was lying and he was going to flood again could be one of the motives. Verse four, And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So there's three things that they counseled together, and undoubtedly they were led by Nimrod, this mighty hunter, this great leader. First is, let's build a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Now, that doesn't mean that they built something as tall as the Sears Tower in Chicago. We're taller, you know. It's like, uh, they have, the, actually, the Tower of Babel was a ziggurat, and, uh, not a cigarette, a ziggurat. And uh, in uh, Herodotus, in his day and age, he said that that tower was still around. He, he saw it in his day and age, whenever he was around. I, I don't even know when he was alive, but. The tower, it didn't mean that they were literally trying to reach as high as they could into heaven. But what it was, was generally it was used for astrology so that they could peer in and they look at, look at basically look at the stars. They could, rather than getting direction from God on what to do, they wanted to divine or, or discern their own destiny, basically. They, were, they didn't want to hear from God anymore. They wanted to decide for themselves what to do. So it was a place of religious worship to go up there. Uh, astrology, a lot of the occultic religions go all the way back to Babylon, uh, mystery Babylon. The other thing they said is, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's, make, you know, let's build this, and it'll be our place and stuff. This is basically uh, worshiping humanity, right? It's humanism. It's human achievement and human pride. And then he says, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. This was in direct defiance to god's command to replenish the earth to multiply it's like they're like we're not going to do this we're going to we're going to build it together we're going to make a name for ourselves you know we're we're going to stay here and uh verse five but the lord came down to see the city and the tower which the men the sons of men had built now, did God physically have to go down to find, hey, I, I guess there's something going on. Look, there's a tower It's coming up here. I better go down and find out. No, the Bible, we know that the, from the Bible that God is, first of all, he's omnipresent, right? God is everywhere at the same time. Not only that, God is omniscient. God is all-knowing. So it wasn't like God is, like, surprised by this. I better go check it out. This may be speaking uh, of a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, before he was incarnated as a man, before he became a man, that Jesus himself physically came down, or Christ came down, um, which, again, that's not a strange phenomenon because that's going to occur later on with Abraham and Sarah. The Lord Jesus is going to come down physically and personally to meet with them. Verse 6, And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one and they all have one language and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Remember in our study back in Genesis chapter 8 verse 21, the Lord said the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Uh, man is just are prone to sin and their imag- just their thoughts, their imaginations, their motives. Everything is sinful. Basically, the potential for evil when man is united in rebellion against God is just unimaginable. Well, it's not totally unimaginable because when we get to the book of Revelation, we start reading about what things are going to happen. We get a good clue of what happens when man comes together, in re- not together in a good way, but in rebellion against God. Um, you know, when you think about it, it's like we've come full circle. I, I've shared before that we're, you know, I believe we're living in the days of Noah. You can go and you can look at, the, look at what the culture and, and the things were like in the days of Noah, and you can say, yeah, definitely. We, I think we're living in the same day and age. Um, but if you think about it, we today have one language again. We do. It's, it's a binary, right? Ones and zeros, digital communications doesn't matter what language you speak you can we can communicate to each other digitally we can we can bypass language altogether so we're kind of like coming full circle back to that time when when mankind has one language one mode of communication and think about the the technological technology technological advances that have happened through digital stuff i mean i mean i remember even calculating you guys remember when you first got a calculator it cost like 50 bucks and it was about the size of a you know it was a big big thing like i got a, I got a calculator you know it was so cool you could do like six numbers you know um look at where we've come with digital electronics it's amazing where we've come and you know there are things that, like, you know, the Star Trek, you know, the, tr- the tricorder, you know, thing that the, the guy used to always go around and stuff, or they try to figure out what's going on. You know, anything that you can imagine, and a lot of these guys that came up with science fiction movies and books and stuff, they, they said, wow, this would be really wild, let's write it down. You know, nothing is impossible now. It's like we're seeing some of these things that at one time was just a dream of people, and now it's become a reality, and we're seeing that more and more. Remember the Dick Tracy watch? Now we have the watch, right? Or whatever they the Swatch, whatever they call that thing. I don't know. I don't have one, obviously. So um, sooner or later, whatever you can imagine, sooner or later, it will develop, be developed or invented and developed. But have you noticed with all of our technological advances, have we become a more righteous people? Has man become more godly or more righteous? no sin wickedness has been advancing as much or if not more in fact you know technologically we are pushing boundaries in the science and the medicine medical field that really there are some areas where we really shouldn't be pushing those boundaries where man is starting to act like god in in some senses now this is my personal belief and i don't think i'm i'm alone in this but uh I think there's a mighty world leader like Nimrod. In fact, Nimrod's a type or a picture of this world leader who's going to who's going to be a mighty hunter, not of of animals, but a mighty hunter of men's souls who's going to he's I think he's might even possibly be alive today, but he hasn't been revealed yet. Um the Bible calls him the antichrist. The New Testament calls him the antichrist, the man of sin. The son of perdition, Paul writes, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or his worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. There's a leader who's going to come onto the scene sometime, in the, I think, in the very near future. Um, he's going to be revealed. The Antichrist. Uh, Nimrod was a picture of him. And uh, so when we look at some of these things, uh, I, this is what we might possibly or very well see um, in the very near future, well, let me clarify that. I don't believe we'll see it. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, I think we're going to be raptured out of here. It's when the great tribulation occurs is when that stuff's going to come down. But you can read about it, and we'll have a balcony view. All right, verse seven. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. Do you notice it, let us go down there? This is the Lord speaking. So it's, it's definitely another reference to the Trinity, I believe. Verse 8. So the Lord scattered them abroad from, all, from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Verse 9. Therefore it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. So as long as man was in rebellion against God. Um, He didn't want them to be united in a common language and in a common purpose because, again, the the imaginations, just their potential for wickedness was that much greater. But what's interesting is when you get to Acts chapter 2, the birth of the church, uh, the Holy Spirit on Pentecost... That Pentecost, that very first Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended on the disciples there. And there was about 120 that were gathered in that upper room, and each one, the, 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 the Bible says that the, the Spirit descended as tongues of fire on each one of them, and they were all speaking in different tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. And there were Jews. Now, again, at that point, there were Jews all over the Roman Empire, and they had come to the feast of Pentecost. That was one of the major feasts that, if you were an observant Jew, that you had to come and so they were jews from all different ethnicities and languages that were gathered in jerusalem during the feast of pentecost and they heard this mighty noise going on and so they are like what's going on so they went over there sounds like a jet engine that hasn't been invited yet or invented yet well there's some weird noise so they had gathered together and they heard this noise and all of a sudden these people that spoke all these different languages arabic i mean uh Farsi, whatever—all these different languages—they heard these disciples speaking to them in their own language. And what were they speaking? The wonderful works of God. I think that's neat to to read that because you know, here in Genesis ten or Genesis eleven, God scatters them, and and they're going to have all, all these different languages came from that after that point up to that point everybody had the same language now there's all these different languages how languages came about I think that's I mean that's fascinating I don't it's it's an interesting concept about languages but anyways God gave them all these different languages and now when he forms the church the Holy Spirit reaches out to each person in their language one common message the wondrous works of God So it's not like God was wanting, I want everybody to be separate. I want everybody together. When they were in rebellion against God, yes, he didn't want them together. But now as a church, he's drawing all men back together. Uh, It doesn't matter what nationality or what ethnicity you are or what language you speak. And you think about it, when people, I remember in the beginning of this this morning when I mentioned that, you know, in our culture, one of the first things after we ask a person's name usually is, what do you do? What do you do for a living? You know, what's your occupation or what what are you about or something like that? Um, And sometimes people make a judgment on you based on what you say, right? Um, Or they might make a judgment on you based on your ethnicity, or maybe you just speak a little different. And and so, you know, they they make a judgment on you uh, or quite possibly what family you're from. But you know what? In the kingdom of God, listen to what Paul writes, Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I want to leave you with one more thought here. Revelation 7, 9, John is seeing the scene in heaven. And he says, after these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice and saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Let me ask you something. How did John know that that's what all these different people were saying from all these different tribes and tongues and nations? Because they were all speaking the same language. Quite possibly it could have been Hebrew. But in any event, when you and I get to heaven, we're not going to have different languages. We're all going to speak the same language. So. Um, so this spreading out and, 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 you know, giving people, you know, this different languages in the different countries that was while man was in rebellion, but now as a body of Christ, God brings us together. We're one, we're not to judge each other. We're to be one with each other. We're to love one another, accept one another. You know, we're all one at the foot of the cross. There's, there's no, there's no high, low, there's no first rate Christian second. We're all one at the foot of the cross and, uh, that's the way it should be. And in heaven, that's the way it will be. So, why don't you uh, stand up, and let's go to Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word, and uh, Lord, just the understanding that we have of all these nations, and, and uh, Lord, just to get maybe a better understanding of, of why things are the way they are politically and, and geographically in our, in, in our world today. But Lord, I thank you that... Uh, as believers, Lord, and we all come from different backgrounds, we all come from different some of us are of different nationalities and uh, different experiences, and yet, Lord God, when we come to the table, when we come to you to the cross lord we 're all the same lord we 're sinners in need of a savior, and so I thank you, Lord, that uh, Lord, that we can be one here today, and Lord, I pray that uh, through that unity, Lord God, that you would work through us as the body of Christ that loves one another, Lord, that the world would know us by our love and that, Lord, uh, through the unity of your Holy Spirit, we might reach this community for you, Lord God. So we thank you for this morning and pray your blessing on your people in Jesus' name.